0: Good evening. Uh, Once again, we thank you for being here, for your attendance to this gospel meeting, and the effort that's being put forth uh, from this congregation. Uh, We thank you for your presence if you are a visitor, and we hope and pray that you'll come back and meet with the brothers and sisters here at Amarillo Church of Christ at every opportunity that you have. I'd encourage you tonight to get your Bible out, uh, to follow along with the verses. Many of them will have. Uh, on the screen with the PowerPoint, but I would encourage you to follow along and turn in your Bible as we study uh, the most important topic uh, that applies to every single one of us that 's in this crowd this evening, and that 's the topic of salvation and I'm want to start by looking at the second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the young evangelist Timothy. and I want you to start there with me in second Timothy <coughs> chapter four. We're going to start in verse 2. Paul writes to the young evangelist, he says, "...preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry." For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And as we talk about the topic and the idea of our salvation... I want you to understand tonight, if you don't have the confidence that Paul had in his salvation, you're missing out on the promise of Christ. This evening, you fall into one of three categories. You're either here tonight fully confident in the promises that God has made to you of eternity, as Paul was, as he said he was ready to be offered, the time of his departure was at hand, and he had fought a good fight, he had done everything he could do, and he had his faith and his trust in what Christ had done for him. As you sit in the audience this evening, you could fall into that category. Another category you may be in is one who knows for a certain that you're not ready for your departure. That you're not ready to stand before the judgment seat of God and give account of your life because you know in your heart the sin that's reigning in your mortal body. And you know that if you were to die tonight, that you would stand in danger of the judgment of God, and that your eternity would be an eternity separated from Him. You could fall into that category this evening. There's also a third category that you may fall in. And as we ponder and discuss the idea of salvation, you may ask the question, I'm not quite sure if I'm saved or not. Brothers and sisters, a Christian has confidence and their salvation. A Christian and follower of Jesus Christ who has obeyed the commandments of God knows of a certainty that their salvation is secure. And if you sit in the seat tonight and you're uncertain in any way, I want you to reevaluate your salvation. If you're confident in your salvation, I want you to reevaluate. I want you to think and be honest with yourself and say, if my life were to end tonight and I stood before the judgment of God, Where would I fall? Paul had total confidence in his salvation. There was not a doubt in his mind. He says, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He didn't say, I might have done enough. He didn't say, I might get a crown. He said, I know I am, and it didn't have anything to do with what Paul had done. It had everything to do with the finished work of Jesus Christ. Paul had met Jesus on that road to Damascus, and his life was forever changed. And from that day forth, you see the works of Paul in his life, and his ministry, never arrogant of himself, but always in humility. Understanding that it wasn't by his own power, or his own will, but it was by the power of Jesus Christ. And this evening, I want to submit to you that salvation belongs to the Lord. You pick a church and you go to services at a church or a different congregation. You ask someone, say, What is it that I have to do to be saved? And you'll get a plethora of answers, won't you? You'll get a different answer from a different man everywhere you go. And you know what the problem with that is? We're not consulting the one who holds eternal salvation in his hands. And tonight, I want you to understand salvation is not in my hands. Salvation is not in any other man's hands, it's in only the hands of the Lord. The one who came to this earth, the one who walked as a man and was tempted in all points as we are, yet he went willingly to the cross of Calvary. Allowed man to take him into custody, allowed men to beat him with stripes, Allowed men to tear His flesh. Allowed men to put a crown of thorns upon His head. Allowed men to mock and ridicule Him. All for what? All for your soul. How valuable is your soul to you? I want to tell you, the Lord Jesus values it greatly. Because He paid a great price for it. And salvation is within His hands to give to you and I because of the things that He suffered. So when we think about salvation, we have but one source to go to, to find the answers for salvation, and that being Jesus Christ. Psalm 3 and verse 8 says, Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. And as a child of God, there are blessings that the Lord has poured out upon us that the world does not enjoy. But you know, that only starts with salvation. Salvation. A lot of people have the idea that, well, if I'm doing well and I'm well off, then I must be saved and God must be pleased with what I'm doing because we have a distorted view of what salvation is. Salvation has nothing to do with this physical life. Salvation is about the forgiveness of sins. And that's the price that Jesus went to the cross to pay. Jesus saw you and I in our sinful state separated from God knew the plan of God, and willingly fulfilled every aspect of that plan so that you and I one day could have an opportunity to have the salvation that belongs to the Lord. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. We read the account of the birth of Christ and then we see that on the eighth day they take Him to the temple to have Him dedicated And there's a man there named Simeon. Simeon had been told that he would not die until he had seen the salvation of the Lord. And in verse 29, the Bible says, As Simeon gazed upon the infant Christ, he said, "'Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation.'" As Simeon looked on the infant Christ, he says, guess what I'm seeing? I'm seeing the salvation that you promised I would see. And what we notice and understand about the New Testament is every time someone saw Christ, they saw the opportunity for salvation. And tonight, as we look back upon the cross of Christ, living after His death, His burial, and His resurrection, we see the same opportunity, don't we? Simeon looked at that baby child that he could hold in his hands, And said, I see the salvation of the Lord. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. The Bible says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make His paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Everyone would see the salvation of God. And this prophesied of John the Baptist, who was the one that God selected to come and to prepare the way. John wasn't there to provide salvation, was he? He was there to prepare the way. Because as John saw Jesus coming to him at about the age of 30 to be baptized of him in the river Jordan, John said what? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He said, that is salvation. And where do people turn today? They turn to themselves. They turn to some other religious man or religious person. They turn to a God of their own making to try to find salvation. Why do we have so many problems in the world today? Why do we have so many people seeking and longing after something? It's because they've removed God from their life. We all have a void within us that only God can fill and we attempt to fill that void with all sorts of different things. Drugs, alcohol, fornication, adultery, covetousness. And the end of all of those things is the same empty feeling that we had when we tried to fill it with those sinful behaviors. And we sit there and we long and we grasp and we search and we seek and we try and we reach out and we come up empty-handed until we reach for the salvation that only belongs to the Lord. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus made a statement, a very exclusive statement that is not popular in our world today. And He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you're looking for salvation from any man that's in this audience, I'm sorry, we can't give it to you. And if we point you in any other direction than to Jesus Christ, we're leading you astray. Jesus made that exclusive statement and said, The only way for you to be right with God, for you to know God, for you to truly understand who God is, is to access Him through me. And everything Jesus did in His life, He did for a purpose and for a reason. And many people dismiss the life of Christ today in our world, don't they? How often have you thought of Christ today? How often have you thought of Jesus this week? How could we not give thought to the One who provided salvation for our souls? If our souls are truly as important as we like to proclaim they are, our mind would truly be focused on serving the one who gave us eternal salvation, wouldn't it? But too often times we get distracted. We're turned aside by the cares and the concerns of this life and this world, and all of us are susceptible to those things. Tonight, refocus. Tonight, recenter your life upon the principles of Jesus Christ. That He died for your sins, He was buried, and three days later He arose victorious over that grave so that you one day will have part in that resurrection. We think about the Scriptures that talk about the return of our Lord. And what an awesome thought. I know as I'm riding around with Brother Craig, I'm picking his mind and saying, asking questions and we're talking about things. And what a day that's going to be. And many people live their lives saying, well, it's not going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be next week. It's not going to be next month, next year. And men are always going to say that in one morning or one afternoon or one evening, we're going to open our eyes and guess who's going to be coming? Our Lord. Are you ready? I know we sit here and we say, yeah, we're ready. Are you ready? Paul said, I'm ready right now. And I want to tell you, as good as this life is, and a life with God here on this earth is a blessing, isn't it? It's a blessing to serve God in this life and to reap the blessings that He bestows upon us, but that pales in comparison to the eternal life that He's promised to give us. And as a child of God, our eternity has already begun. And if you're secure in your salvation tonight, I want you to understand your eternity with God has already started. Because there will never be a point in your life after your death, that you'll be separated from God. Because He promised to always be with you. And Paul said to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So if He's with us here, He's going to be with us through death, and we don't have to fear anything that this life can throw our way. And if you don't have that kind of confidence, reevaluate on your salvation this evening. Luke chapter 23. Verses 32 through 43, we see the crucifixion of Christ. He's hung on the cross after being beaten, after being mocked and spat upon, and he's hanging there, there are two men, one on each side. One of those men looks to Christ and says, if you really are who you say you are, Take yourself and, and take us down with you. Let's get off these crosses if you really are who you say you are. And then the other man sternly rebuked him. He says, "Don't you understand that we deserve what we're getting right now? And this man has done nothing. And that man made a plea to Christ." Verse forty-two. He said, and "He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when Thou comest into Thy kingdom." Where did this man turn for salvation? Did he look to himself? Did he look to the other thief that was on the other cross? Did he look to those who were on the ground who had put him on the cross? No, he looked to the one source of eternal life. He looked to Jesus Christ. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then we know what Jesus told that man. he said, today you will be with me in paradise. What other words could that man have longed to hear that day? Did it matter that He was a criminal? Not anymore. Did it matter that He had done heinous things to deserve to be put on that cross? Not anymore. All that mattered was that from this moment on, He would be with who? He would be with the Lord. This evening, I want you to be with the Lord. Everyone in this audience wants you to have eternal salvation if you don't already. And most importantly, the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to have salvation. That's why He died. And I think when we come in contact and and we understand the significance of Jesus dying for my sins, that's impactful. Did He die for the sins of the world? He certainly did. And the Bible even speaks to those things. But that's of no consequence to me. Jesus died for my sins. And as He was beaten with many stripes and He was scourged to the point of death, which one of those stripes were for my sins? And the iniquity that I live in and that I commit. Because salvation belongs to Him. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, the Bible tells us, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to do what? To make your calling and election Sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, you be sure of what you've chosen to do. Don't let there be any doubt in your mind. What happens when we doubt our salvation? We become unproductive. We become lazy. We become unsure. And when there's uncertainty... That breeds a mind that's not confident in God. You're not saved because of how good you are. You're saved because the Lord Jesus gave Himself to die for your sins. And then you chose to obey His gospel. But understand salvation belongs to Him and you're charged to make your calling and election sure. And I want you to do that this evening. 1 Peter 4 and verse 17 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? That's a rhetorical question, isn't it? He says, judgment's coming. It's going to start with who? It's going to start with God's people. And he says, if you're barely saved as a child of God by the skin of your teeth, you make it. What chance do those who are outside the body have? Not a chance. How scary would that be? How serious is our salvation? The world tells us it doesn't matter how you worship, it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter what you do to obtain salvation, just do whatever you want. And it's watered down the Word of God. Let's reestablish what the Word says. Let's get back to the One who provided eternal life, who has salvation in His hands, and says, I want to give it to you. Because if you want salvation, you're going to obtain it one way, the Lord's way. And what's he say about those who have not obeyed the gospel of God? He says they don't have a chance. If you're here tonight and you never obeyed the gospel of God, you don't have a chance unless something changes. And if you're here tonight and you say, I don't even know what the gospel of God is, I want you to listen. And if you say, I don't know what the gospel is... I want you to take the opportunity tonight to learn and to know what it is and then to simply obey the words of Christ and so that you can obtain salvation from His hands. Because salvation belongs to Him. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, the Bible says that, "...wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned." You know, the sin of Adam and Eve opened the door... To sin. But you know, I'm not going to give account on the day of judgment for the sins of Adam and Eve. I'm going to give account for the sins of chase. And my name is going to be called, and I'm going to stand before the mighty throne of God. My life is going to be examined. The things that I've done, whether they be good or bad. And guess what's there? Sin. Every single one of us is guilty. Every single one of us deserves to be separated from God for all of eternity. But brethren, you don't believe that that's the end or you wouldn't be here tonight. If you didn't think you had a chance, you didn't think you had any hope, all we ought to do is go live and do what we want to do. But the gospel message is a message of hope. That yes, you've sinned. Yes, you've fallen short. Yes, you've violated the will of God. But God gives you an avenue to seek and to find forgiveness and salvation. Romans 6 and verse 23 clearly states that the wages of sin is death. What sin deserves is to be destroyed and why are we soft-shoeing it around sin? Sin separates us from God, and we can play games about it. We can talk about it in just easy words and easy terms and soften it. It's sin. And any sin will separate you from God. And until you're serious about your soul, you're not serious about the consequences of your sin. Is your heart full of hate? Do ungodly words come out of your mouth? Are you in places doing and saying things that you know a child of God has no business saying and doing? Have you just given up even trying to serve God? Do you not see the value in worshiping and serving God on a daily basis? If that's you, you deserve death. You see, all of us have committed things in our past and in our life and continue to struggle against those things even today, don't we? But we have to understand the seriousness of sin. Sin put Jesus on the cross. Your sin put Jesus into a position where He had to physically die and suffer. And we want to toy around with sin. Understand how serious God views sin and that He wants to save you from that tonight. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, Paul earnestly pleads with these people. He says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. There's an avenue, there's a way that you can be brought back into the relationship that God has always intended for you to have with Him. So when we think about salvation, who is it that holds it? Jesus Christ. So if I want to be saved, who is it that I ought to listen to? The words of Jesus Christ. And He clearly speaks of how we can obtain salvation. Revelation 1 and verse 5, the Bible says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Without the blood of Christ, you cannot have salvation. So tonight, when you think about what is it that saves my soul, what was it that gave the Apostle Paul the confidence that he had in 2 Timothy chapter 4 to say, I know there's a crown of life, I'm ready to be offered, my departure's at hand and I'm ready to face it. It was because of the blood of Christ. Do you have that kind of confidence in the blood of Christ tonight? We sing the song, there's power in the blood. And the power is to forgive us of sin. That sin is deserving of death. But God said, I'll pay a price for that sin. And it's in the precious blood of the Lamb. That blood is what you need tonight. Romans 1 and 16 The Apostle Paul mentions the Gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. He says, for it, the Gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, if you believe the Gospel, and here's the point, if you believe it, you're going to act upon it, you're going to obey it, guess what? It's the power of God to save your soul. So let's make a connection in our minds. Somewhere in the teaching of the Gospel of Christ, there is the blood of Christ. For Revelation 1 and 5 said, it's in the blood that He washed us. And in Romans 1.16, He says, it's the Gospel that is the power of God to save. You can't preach the Gospel without preaching the blood of Christ. And this evening, you can observe all kinds of ritualistic practices. You can pray fervently to God. You can get dunked in water. You can have all these ideas that you want to have about salvation, and if you're outside the blood of Christ, all you've done is perform some ritual that is meaningless to God. The Bible teaches that it's a commandment for us to be baptized into the death of Christ. But when you're baptized, if you're not baptized having faith in the blood of Jesus, you're just getting dunked in water. I want you to consider that this evening. The day you came to Christ and you obeyed that gospel, where was your faith? It needed to be in the blood of the Lamb. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, says, "...and to you who are troubled, rest with us." He's giving them some reassurance. He says, "...you're persecuted, you're troubled, it's difficult... He's saying, but I'm going to give you some words of comfort. He says, When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. He said, there's a day coming where the Lord will make right every wrong that's ever been committed. He says, you're persecuted, you're put down, Your life's a struggle. Continue in that. Keep the faith. He said, because there's coming a day where the Lord will take vengeance on them who know not God and do not obey the Gospel. If you've never obeyed the Gospel, you're fighting against God. And one day, He's going to come and take vengeance upon your soul. That's not a pleasant thing to think about. And I want you to understand that the Lord doesn't take any pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. He's not willing that any perish, but that all would come to repentance. That they would seek after Him and long to be His and belong to Him. And He gives us an avenue to do that. And when you reject the call of the gospel, it saddens the Lord. But even greater than that, You're destroying your own soul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We see the Apostle Paul clearly identify to you and I today the elements of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read the first four verses. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures." And that He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He says, what is the Gospel? He says, it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. So if we're going to preach salvation, and we're going to preach the Gospel of Christ, and we're going to talk about the blood of Christ, it has three elements. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. He says, that's what the Gospel is. So somehow I have to obey this doctrine. I have to obey this gospel so that I can have forgiveness of sin and enjoy the salvation that only belongs to the Lord. Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 15. Romans 6 beginning in verse 15, the Apostle Paul also talks about the idea of being a sinner in one state and something changing that makes you into a child of God. Verse 15, he says, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of of righteousness. What is salvation? It's freedom from sin. <laughs> salvation is having my sins forgiven and being freed from the bondage that sin would entangle me in. And then I don't have to live serving sin any longer, but I have a new way of living. I have a new way of thinking. I have a new way of being who I am. All centered around who? The person Jesus Christ. And all of that's possible through the obedience of that doctrine. He says, you have obeyed from the heart a form of doctrine. And you go to a lot of religious groups and say, what do I got to do to be saved? And you mention obedience. There's nothing you have to obey. The universalists believe that God's going to save us all anyway. Do whatever you want to do. God wouldn't send anyone to hell. I tell you, that's a destructive doctrine. it takes away from the authority of Jesus Christ Jesus taught on hell more than anybody in the scriptures the word hell translated Gehenna as the eternal fire and the lake of fire Jesus taught on it more than anybody and how often do we hear lessons talking about hell We have to be comfortable to teach all the Scriptures, not just the ones that make us feel good about ourselves. And too often times in the religious world, that's what people want to hear. Tell me something that makes me feel good about myself. I want to tell you something that can save your soul. And when you have the security as Paul had, you can feel good. Because you know without a doubt, you have a relationship with God. And nothing can take that away. Now go back to the beginning of Romans chapter 6 and look at verses 1 through 7. We've established that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Somehow through our obedience to that, we are able to obtain forgiveness of sin and have an eternity promised to us by God. And then in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How many people use the grace of God as a free pass to live and do anything they want to do? And the idea that I can live in sin and I'll just get more and more grace. And the Apostle Paul said, God forbid, don't live that way. And the reason why is found in verse 2. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He says, there's something we've done that has allowed us to die to sin. And then in verse 3, he says, know you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Are you freed from sin tonight? I can't answer that for you. Paul was freed from sin. We started tonight study talking about 2 Timothy chapter 4 and the confidence that Paul had. And the reason that Paul had that confidence was what? He obeyed the Gospel. He came in contact with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ when he was what? He was baptized. And then he lived his life faithfully. He said, I'm ready to meet God. Don't you think he longed for a little bit of rest? Don't you think Paul was tired? Don't you think Paul was burdened? And Paul knew what awaited him, didn't he? And he said, I'm ready. I've had a lot of dear friends and family that have passed away. I've had some that faced that day with great fear and terror. And it's unsettling. And then I've stood before audiences of people and preached and tried to console a family of a person that I knew and that they admitted they never had a relationship with God. You see, death is viewed completely differently when we know where our trust is. The Apostle Paul also said, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what he's committed unto me against that day. He said, there's not a doubt in my mind. Do you have a doubt in your mind tonight? If you do, you better reevaluate your salvation. And then I've had other family members that have passed away that had a great faith. And I don't know for sure where their salvation lies. I know things that they did in their life, and I could look at the fruit that they produced in their life. And as they faced death, they said, I'm ready either way. If I live, I'll continue to serve God. And if I don't, there's a promise waiting for me. Because they knew salvation belonged to the Lord, and that they had been blessed enough to obtain it. Acts chapter nine, the Apostle Paul recounts, or we see the conversion of the Apostle Paul. He's on his way to Damascus to bind and to capture Christians, and he meets somebody. Did he meet a preacher? He meet another man? He met the man, he met the preacher, he met Jesus Christ. And Jesus humbled Paul, brought him to his knees, blinded him, revealed to him who he was, and told him what to do. He said, you go into the city and you find a man named Ananias. He'll tell you what you need to do. At the same time, he spoke to Ananias and said, You need to go find Paul at that time, Saul of Tarsus. In Acts 9, verses 9 through 11, it says he was three days without sight, neither did he eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. He said, There's a man that I've met. I need you to go and to talk to and to find and to reveal something to. By that time he had been three days without sight, humbled under the mighty hand of God as Jonah was. He had fasted. And God even said that he prayed. We talked about Jonah's prayer last night in Jonah chapter 2. And we said, was there ever a more fervent prayer than the prayer of Jonah? Saul of Tarsus' prayer was probably pretty fervent. (laughs) Humbled under that mighty hand of God, looking and seeking and trying to figure out what it is that was going on with him. And then Ananias goes to him. And Ananias says, receive thy sight. And his sight came back to him. And you think about the Apostle Paul. What was it that ultimately was able to save him? Up until this point with the Apostle Paul, we have not seen anything that says anything about his sins being forgiven. But if you look at Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, we see Paul recounting these events... And Ananias asked him a question. He says, "And now, why tarriest thou? Why do you wait? <laughs> Arise and be baptized and have wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. How do we call upon the name of the Lord today? It's not in an audible prayer that comes from our lips. It's in our obedience to the gospel. It's in our obedience to the same thing that Saul of Tarsus did to receive the forgiveness of sins and come in contact with the blood of Christ that was able to give Him salvation. It's not through a preacher. It's not through some other organization. It's not through any other group. It's only through Jesus Christ. And from that day forth, we see a changed man. And we see the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 12. He says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. See, God plants within all of us a desire and a longing to find Him. We can suppress that. We can derail that. Or we can submit ourselves to it. And we submit ourselves to it, we seek and we try to work out our salvation. And where do we turn? We have to turn to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verse 1, he says, We then as workers together with Him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For He saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When is the day of salvation? Now is the day of salvation. Paul's saying everything's in place. Everything's been fulfilled. All we're waiting on is for you to serve God. To be humble enough to admit that you can't fix your own problems... To be humble enough to understand that without God, you're nothing. To be humble enough to admit that you need the blood of Christ to wash your sins away, and that if you want a hope of eternal life, you can only get it through Him. Now is the day. Now is the time. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's not Sunday. It's tonight. Have you worked out your salvation with fear and trembling? Have you made your calling and election sure? Have you obeyed the gospel of Christ? Salvation belongs to Him, therefore He gets to dictate how you and I can take part in His salvation. You know why? Because it's His. And He says it's a free gift that He offers to you if you'll come to Him. one more passage I have that we'll put up on the board in just a minute. And for those who would argue and debate and say, baptism has nothing to do with salvation, I want you to understand, baptism is not a work of man. It is not man-made. It is not man-created. It is nothing to do with the power of man. It's all about the power of God. It's a simple act of obedience to demonstrate that you're willing to do what the Lord tells you to do. I want to share with you, you know what Jesus said? Verse 16, He says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Let it end right there. Let the debate in your mind and in your heart be solved because of the words of Jesus Christ. If salvation is His to give, and He made the statement, if you believe and you're baptized, I'll save you, why would you argue with Christ? Some people would sit and say, well, you know, if Jesus would walk in and preach this message, well, I might obey. He's preaching it loud and clear. There's no debate. And other men may teach differently, other religions can teach differently. There's one truth. And we're told to buy the truth and sell it not. If you're here tonight and you've never obeyed the words of Christ, not the words of Chase or not the words of any other man, if you've not humbled yourself and obeyed the words of Christ, I ask you tonight, why not? What are you waiting on? Now is the appointed time. You know what you need to do. And it's just a question whether you're willing to obey God or not. If you're here and you need to obey the gospel, you need to be baptized to have your sins washed away, there's no greater time. We always sing an invitation song. And I often think, what if this is the last invitation song we sing? And I've probably said that 40 or 50 times but you know at some point it is going to be the last invitation and at some point those skies are going to unfold and the Lord's going to return and it's going to be too late now is the appointed time if you need to act and have your sins washed away do it tonight and if you are a Christian and you're confident in your salvation God bless you continue to keep the faith and continue to spread this message to everybody that you can. But if you're here and you're a brother or sister in Christ, but your faith is wavering, or there's any doubt or uncertainty in your heart and your mind, don't leave this building tonight with any uncertainty. But proclaim just as the Apostle Paul did. At the time of my departure is at hand, I've fought a good fight. I'm ready to meet my Lord and receive what He's promised to me. Can you say that tonight? If not, come back to the Lord. He's longing for you. And He's wanting to reestablish the relationship that He died to give you. Come to Him while we stand and sing.